We are continually reminded of how our covenant children um, have something to teach us and how they lead us. And so these moments when they lead us in worship, uh, we certainly give praise to God for that and for the adults who, uh, who help um, to lead them. And so thank you so much uh, for that. We are here on this, the third Sunday of Advent, and we are continuing our look through the book of Isaiah. Um, and so this morning, we are looking at Isaiah 52, uh, verses 1 through 12. And without further ado, let's dive into what Isaiah has to say to us this morning. There we go. (laughs) Awake, awake, Isaiah says. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall enter you no more. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, long ago my people went down into Egypt to reside there as aliens. The Assyrians too has oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what am I doing here, says the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away without cause? Their rulers howl, says the Lord, and continually all day long my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announce peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen. Your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of it. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise this morning for the simple opportunity to gather together to hear the voices of our children and our young people sing forth your praise. So we give you thanks for that, God. We pray that you would continue to be with us this morning, God, as we seek to hear your voice. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So during this Advent season, we are calling this series kind of a sage story, which, uh, which is talking about just the story as a whole, but is also talking about how Isaiah is like a sage, if you will, a prophet. And as we talked a little bit about last Sunday, he is speaking to a people who are caught up 
in Babylonian captivity. They are a people in exile. And so they are wrestling with what does it mean for us to have been in exile. They are a people who are struggling, a people who are depressed, a people with questions wondering where God is. And Isaiah is trying to paint a picture for them to tell them that things are going to get better. And so he continues to reach out to them. And the question that we are asking is, what does Isaiah have to say to us? Clearly, we are not in Babylonian captivity per se. And yet all of us from one time or another, at one time or another, go through exilic times, times of exile. Sometimes it feels as if a whole nation is in exile, as if there is conflict and and fracturing amongst one another, as if we are at war against one another. Sometimes it's a personal exile, some reason why you feel distant from God, why you were, for some reason, God feels as if he is no longer there, whether that's That's through your own sickness. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a lost job or a fractured relationship. All of us, from time to time, go through times of exile. So what does Isaiah have to say to us? Last week, we talked about the fact that as as we begin to picture what it looks like for a new world where we are no longer in exile, we talked about how we were going to get there, how God was going to come through his servant in a gentle way, more gentle than perhaps we would like. And today, it seems to me, Isaiah is telling us, is saying, how can we, what can we do when we are in the midst of difficult times to remember that God? God is still with us. What do we need to do in order to be open to the reality that God is here even when he feels distant? Now, one of the first things that we see in Isaiah 52, and we see it as well in Isaiah 51, are there are a lot of what we call double imperatives. These are things that give us emphasis, right? So in 51 and in 52, Isaiah says to the people, awake, awake, arise, arise, awake, awake, depart, depart. And why, why do we use double imperatives? Well, we use double imperatives, it seems to me, when A, we feel very strongly about something, and B, we are not convinced that other people feel nearly as strongly as we do, and we want them to. Right? Megan and I are full of double imperatives on Monday through Friday mornings. Right? We are full of double imperatives to our children that they need to get ready for school. And so throughout the morning, it is wake up, wake up, get your clothes on, get your clothes on, stop looking in the mirror, stop looking in the mirror, eat, eat. Don't hit your sister. Don't hit your sister. Where's your backpack? Where is your backpack? Did you get your lunch? Did you get your lunch? Look both ways. Look both ways. In honesty, we don't have double imperatives. We have like quad imperatives probably, really. And we do this, A, because we realize how important it is that they get up and get ready for school and they do it somewhat quickly. And B, we are further convinced that they don't care, that they are not nearly um, as, as, uh, as um, let's see here, convinced that it is important, right? And so we double, double those imperatives. So what is Isaiah saying here? Isaiah is saying, awake, awake. 
God realizes it's important for them to wake up. And it seems that they are not yet convinced. You see, they have somewhat been lulled into sleep, into thinking that everything around him, the slavery, is all that there is. That that's who they are. We are, we are slaves to whatever the society around us says. And that that's exactly what they are. In fact, not only does he say, awake, awake, he also goes on to say, put on your beautiful garments right? Take off the sweatpants and the yoga pants and the hat and put on something beautiful. I was not looking at you, Megan. Put on something uh, beautiful, right? Put on beautiful clothes. And then he goes on to say, and dust off the exile. Dust off those things of the society that are around you, that are convincing you that you are something other than what you are. Put on something beautiful, right? This is a little bit about what we talked about last Sunday where we said how easy it is for us to get caught up. Society around us is growing cynical, it seems like. They're angry. They're getting louder and louder and louder. And sometimes we are lulled into a societal slumber that says if they're acting like that, then we need to act like that as well. And what God is saying is wake up, wake up. That is not who you are. Are. You are a loved child of God. These other people are loved creations of God. Now start treating them in that way. Do not fall asleep. Shake off the dust of those around you who are causing you to continue into this slumber and remember who you are. Are. That if we want to be a people who are not caught up in the exile that we are feeling and that is around us, that we first of all need to wake up and realize how easily we have succumbed to exile. The main way it seems to me that we begin to do that, the main way that we begin to wake up is when we begin to see God. Now, what Isaiah does throughout Isaiah is he's trying to paint a picture of the future. This is the picture of what is going to be. He is trying to get people to start looking forward to the kingdom that is coming. But in our 52nd chapter, we also see that Isaiah is saying you need to wake up and to begin to see where God has been with you in the past. He says, he brings up Egypt, and whenever you are a people of Israel or Judah and you hear the word Egypt, what you remember is that you were enslaved, but you also remember that God led his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Right? In the 51st chapter, he brings up Abraham and Sarah so that the people of Israel remember, that's right, that before they had much of anything at all, God told them that he was going to bless them to be a blessing. And they begin to see and remember how God had been with his people in the past. And I would suggest it also means not just going back in Scripture and remembering how God has been with us in the past, but it also means looking in your own personal life. This is something that we talk about with some regularity. It is so critical that we begin to look and to remember, especially in dark and difficult times, that we remember how God has been with us. 
few weeks ago now, the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, we did a, a little practice, if you will, of Thanksgiving, of gratitude. And, and so every person who was here, at least most, the vast majority, they wrote down something that they were thankful for, some way that they've seen God at work in their lives. And then they walked forward and they deposited them in baskets. And this week, I finally had a chance to look through them. And foolishly enough, I thought I would just sit down quickly and just kind of thumb through them and be done with it. It took me, no kidding, it took me hours to begin to go through every single piece of gratitude. God is doing an immense amount of work in the people of this church. And as I began to read through, there were, there were, there were many, um, there were several that talked, of course, about salvation and about the work of Christ in their life, about grace and about the ways in which that has changed them. There were others, uh, many actually, who talked about the fact that they had, 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 had seen God work in, in relationships that had begun to heal. Relationships perhaps between a spouse, but oftentimes between a parent or, or a sibling or even friends. And the way that they'd seen that which was fractured all of a sudden made whole again. One person even uh, mentioned a specific name and a specific year when somebody helped them out financially several years ago. And, and, and the way that they say it, saw God at work back then and they gave thanks to God for that. Others uh, mentioned uh, uh, the fact that they have seen where, um, where several people have, um, well I was, uh, well, all right, one person even said the Cubs winning the World Series. And so... I burned that because I knew it was from Satan, and I didn't want that to be a part of, um, I'm, no, I'm not kidding. So I, um, but what was also cool was to see our young folks, right, probably our middle schoolers or high schoolers, they didn't put their name or their age, but you could kind of tell by the writing and what they said, um, um, the ways that they were thankful. And oftentimes it seems to me when it comes to our younger folks, you know, this, is, this has been what generations do. They complain and say, well, they're just on their phone. They don't, they don't care, whatever. They're too selfish, right? This is always what our generations say about younger generations. But to be able to kind of see how they had been thinking through the way God had been there, was remarkable, it seems to me. And as I just began to read all of these things, I was just struck by the fact that most of us are probably unaware that the person who is sitting right next to you right now, the person maybe that you don't know that well, how many things God has done for that person. You know, we always talk about that. We say, hey, God's done a lot of great work, and we're all like, yeah. But I don't think we really feel it, right? One of the great things about coming forward to kind of express that gratitude as we did a few Sundays ago, was that you could see the thanksgiving. You could see how people had been moved. One of the things I was thinking as I was reading through these is I kind of feel like we should all have a news ticker on us. You know, like that little scrolling thing that goes underneath the television, or if you're in Times Square, you can kind of see it going around. That what if we all had these little news tickers around us that would just kind of go around saying all the things that God had done? How might that change us if we got to see that? How might there be times when we would need to go look in the mirror when we're in a difficult time to remember? Oh, that's right, I forgot. 
God, God had done that. Oh, that's right, I forgot about that. And what might it be like if we all came together with those news tickers of God's gratitude? How might that change the way we begin to see the situations in which we find ourselves now? Wouldn't that shape us a little bit differently if we began to see how God has been at work in our own lives and in the lives of those around us? It seems to me that might change how we understand ourselves. But I think we need to look not just to the past, to the way that God has been with us, but even to the present. In verse 8, Isaiah says this. He says, listen, you sent your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. What is a sentinel? A sentinel is somebody who looks out. A sentinel is someone who watches. In other words, a sentinel in this particular situation is someone who is looking for where they see God at work right now, right? Uh, the analogy that I always use is what happened with the Jetta, right? This is the same one that I always use, but for me, it's the only one I can think of, right? I knew I was going to get a Jetta in like July, but I didn't get the Jetta until October. And, and what did I see for those three months everywhere I went? I saw Jettas. Now, why was that? Did they all of a sudden release Jettas and said, hey, Deck is uh, going to get a Jetta. Let's uh, surround him by as many as possible. Did they do that? No. Did they all of a sudden, did I just conjure it up in my mind? Did I see a Ferrari, but it looked like a Jetta to me? I could see how you could make that mistake, but no, right? What had happened was I became a Jetta sentinel, right? I was looking for Jettas, and so I saw Jettas. And so we are called to be sentinels of God. But now, and this is crucial, a sentinel is not just a lookout. See, imagine, if you will, your typical sentinel who is up on the walls of a city and he's looking probably for enemies who are coming in. And imagine that a sentinel sees the enemies, right? And doesn't say anything. And they come in and they ransack the city. And the king says to him, hey, what happened? Didn't you see them? You're a sentinel. And the sentinel says, oh, absolutely. I saw them. I just didn't say anything. Right? It's a bit like Jerry Seinfeld in the, uh, I shouldn't even bring this up, the rental car thing. You know how to take the reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. Right? The sentinels need to see, and then they need to share what they have seen. Right? That we are called, as a people who begin to look for God, to then begin to share it. Right? And actually, what Isaiah says is not just that you share it, but that you sing it. Why? Because singing is important. There is something about singing that makes a different kind of impact. Right, imagine if these sunshine singers, which is kind of hard to say, if these sunshine singers had been up here and they had just mouthed the words. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Fa-la-la-la. Jesus was born to us, the Savior of the world. Now, us parents, we would have been like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Right? Shaughnessy says, fa-la-la, like nobody else. Did you see that? 
But for the rest of us, that doesn't have much to it. But when they're singing it, right, there's a sense of joy, a sense of excitement. There's an, an emotional attachment that is different than when you just say it. And the other part of that, of course, as well, is that it sticks with you. Right? Every year I complain about the practice CDs for the Sunshine Singers. Why? Because I can't get it out of my head. Right? I can be driving. I can be playing basketball. It doesn't matter. But what I'm doing is, it's Christmas time. Come on, get something else. Right? But it's just there. But the good news is that if you have those songs in your heart of how God has been at work in your life and in the world, then when you live leave this place and you are in a dark or exilic time that you can begin to sing those songs as a way of remembering Jesus has been born to us the savior of the world so isaiah says to us we need to look to the future for god we need to remember and to see where god has been with us in the past and we also need to be able to see right now and to share where we are seeing god alive but there's one other thing that i also want to share which is that at times it seems to me especially in difficult periods we may struggle with seeing God. And I think that a part of that is that sometimes we are actually looking for the wrong thing. That frequently, when it comes to seeing God, what we are looking for are the blessings. What we are looking for are the times when we have been happy or God has made us happy. And the reality is that it's not always where we see God even the best. Perhaps the most famous part of this passage in Isaiah, because it's so poetic, is in verse 7. Isaiah says, How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's this beautiful, poetic language. And we don't oftentimes wrestle with the reality that the vast majority of us would have looked at those feet and have said, those feet are not beautiful. You see, the messenger, especially in that time and place, who would have come from miles due to the road surfaces and to the footwear or lack thereof, those feet would not have been beautiful. They would have been broken. They would have been bruised. They would have been bloody. They would have gone through the muck and the mire and the manure. They would have been disgusting. And yet, in the midst of that muck and mire and manure, in the midst of that blood and disgust, in the midst of all of that, Isaiah says, these feet are beautiful. Because they are pointing to the amazing message that even amidst that, God still reigns. I think so often when it comes to our lives, we see in the good times where God is alive. And yet in the bad times, we wonder where God has gone. 
I wonder perhaps if we haven't actually gotten that flipped and the reality is that perhaps, especially in those difficult times, is where we may most deeply see God. I've been given the privilege of being a pastor. Scott has experienced this as well, I'm sure, where we are given the privilege to be with people in the wonderful times, but also in the remarkably difficult times. For, for, the, for the, probably the first several years of my pastorate, I didn't see it as a privilege. I, I enjoyed, it was a privilege to be with people when there were baptisms or, or weddings. Those are always great. But I saw it, quite frankly, more as a curse oftentimes when I had to be there when people were struggling with difficult things, with the death of a loved one or with the fracturing of a relationship. And I saw it as a curse because I knew, right, that, that there was nothing I was going to be able to say. There was nothing I was going to be able to do that was going to take away the pain. And it felt like if I was coming to bring God, I needed to bring happiness somehow, that I, that I needed to bring all the answers and, and all the solutions. One of the things that I have begun to see is that actually in the midst of the pain and struggle, in the midst of the questions and the tears, in the midst of the agony oftentimes of those most difficult periods, if we have the eyes to see, there are times when we can begin to see the traces of God's grace and love caught in the middle of all of that pain, in the midst of that dirtiness. It's a holy time with great frequency, not because all of a sudden God brings happiness and not because all of a sudden God fixes everything, but because oftentimes in those spaces are where we see the community, the body of Christ, be who it is actually called to be, to surround the people with their love and their prayers. It is frequently in moments like that, perhaps, where you see someone who is dying and yet for some reason they have this remarkable joy or peace about them, even when they are struggling with death. Sometimes it's even just the simple fact that in our wailing and in our agony, we begin to see and get an understanding of how Jesus also wailed, of the pain and the suffering that he understood. And remarkably, in the midst of those times are perhaps some of the greatest opportunities to see God. Perhaps sometimes what we are looking for is the more superficial. And perhaps for those who have eyes to see, even in the middle of suffering, where God is at work, that they are given vision of God that people who have never suffered as much, quite frankly, are not yet able to see. In this Advent season, I don't know exactly where you are. Most of you are probably in lots of different places. Some of you are in great places. And if that's the case, my encouragement to you is in the midst of all of that wonderfulness to celebrate it, to share it with others, to sing about it to others, to see God, to be looking for God. But for others of us, if you are in a place where it seems dark, either because of what's going on in the world or because of something else going on in your life, my hope and my prayer is that you will begin to look, to look for God, to remember where God is coming in the future, to begin to see where God has been with you in the past, and to be a sentinel looking for God even right now.
And just like with those who are going through joyful periods, I hope and I pray that as you see God, that you begin to sing it. It's Christmas time. Fa la la la. It's Christmas time. Jesus was born to us, the Savior of the world. It's Christmas time. You better sing it with more joy. It's Christmas time. Jesus was born to us. Amen? Amen.